This is the fourth and final week of our sermon series, Summer Vibes. Throughout the month of June, we've been exploring the theology to be found in some of our favorite summer pastimes. So far, we've talked about summer reading and summer movies and summer travel. If you missed any of those and you'd like to get caught up, you can find them on our website, cumc.com. We're wrapping up today with summer musicals. Now, I'm not sure how many of you are musical fans. I did not think I would be when my wife Whitney and I bought season tickets for the Dallas Summer Musicals down at Fair Park almost 20 years ago now. We renewed those tickets for quite a few years, seeing well over 50 shows over that time. And honestly, at first I was only going because I loved my wife <laughs> and because I thought she would like them. Uh, it was a scheduled set-aside date six or seven times a year, which was fantastic, but I certainly did not expect to become a fan of musical theater. Then we started going, <laughs> and it turns out that I really enjoyed the shows, some more than others, of course, but in every one of them, the talent of the performers was incredible, and I I find the creativity on display to be able to tell interesting stories that explore uh, complicated ideas in an engaging way to be pretty inspiring, sometimes incredibly inspiring. And today we're talking about my favorite musical of all time, uh, most often affectionately referred to by its abbreviated title, Les Mis. It's based on Victor Hugo's 1862 novel that can be translated in a number of ways. The title literally means the miserable ones, but the French is a colloquialism. It's been translated as uh, the wretched, or the poor ones, or the dispossessed. It's an epic story that stays with you long after you've experienced it, whether in novel, movie, or musical form. Set over the course of almost two decades, beginning in 1815 and culminating in the 1832 Paris Uprising, Les Mis explores big, life-defining themes. Themes like poverty and the injustices of a political and social system that exploited and dehumanized the poor, hence the title. Themes like the sometimes conflicting notions of law and grace and the consequences of pursuing the former at the expense of the latter. Themes like the ideals and beliefs that are worth staking our lives on, as well as those that are not worth it. In exploring these themes, there are numerous overt references to God as the characters seek to find meaning and purpose in the midst of the struggle of what was, for many, in early 19th century France, a life of difficulty and sorrow. My, own, my first encounter with Les Mis um, was what I considered to be an excellent non-musical movie version of the story that came out in 1998. It starred Liam Neeson and Jeffrey Rush and Uma Thurman. I'd recommend the movie if you're interested in the story, but are intimidated by the length of the novel. <laughs> Although I hope to someday, I have not yet attempted to read it myself. Hugo's masterpiece is divided into five volumes, which is broken down into 48 separate books for a total of 365 chapters. It's an undertaking to read Les Mis. Since 1980, most people who have come to know the story have encountered it in musical form. It debuted in Paris in that year, 1980, 
The English version opened in London in 1985. It debuted on Broadway in 1987. And if you've seen the musical, you know that we could easily do an entire sermon series just on this one show. There are lots of themes to explore told by over 30 different characters on stage. In our limited time this morning, what I want to focus on is uh, the two main characters, Jean Valjean and it's Inspector Javert. Jean Valjean is the hero of the story. He's a man of humble origins who had been imprisoned for stealing a loaf of bread to feed his niece. He served five years for stealing and an additional 14 years for trying to escape multiple times. And at the beginning of the show, he's released on parole. But as an ex-con, he's ostracized wherever he goes. Unable to find work, he's homeless and hungry when a bishop of the church takes him in. Desperate and bitter at his lot in life, Valjean steals the bishop's silver and then he runs away. He's caught by the local police and returned to the bishop who will surely press charges against this thieving ex-con. That's what we would expect. But in an act of grace and mercy, unlike anything that Jean Valjean has experienced, the bishop tells the police that the silver was a gift and that they must release his friend immediately. Thus offering Valjean a fresh, fresh start and second chance, the bishop tells him that he must become an honest man that through this act of forgiveness, the bishop has bought Valjean's soul for God. This extraordinary offer of grace changes him forever. Knowing that he can never overcome his reputation as an ex-con in a political and social system that, unlike the church, knew no mercy, Valjean flees. He tears up his parole card and he disappears in order to make a new life and a new identity for himself without the stigma of his past haunting him Jean Valjean not only honors his promise to the bishop to become an honest man he also becomes a man of compassion and love the rest of the show contains this running storyline of inspector Javert pursuing Valjean and we'll get back to the two of them shortly our passage from scripture this morning comes from acts and it it recalls a significant moment in the early history of the church. It's in that period of time following Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was moving in a powerful way and many were converting to the Christian faith. And we're told that the church was growing so rapidly that the original disciples uh, chose seven deacons to assist them in their work. And we're told that a man named Stephen was named first among these earliest deacons. And we're also told that he was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So we're going to pick up Stephen's story from there. This is in the sixth chapter of Acts. I'm going to read a few verses in the sixth chapter, and then I'm going to jump to the end of the seventh chapter. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the author of Acts. Stephen, full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and others of those from Cilicia and Asia stood up and argued with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. Then they secretly instigated some men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people as well as the elders and the scribes. Then they suddenly confronted him, seized him, 
and brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses who said, This man never stopped saying things against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses handed on to us. And all who sat in the council looked intently at him, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And then Stephen makes a speech, and he recounts kind of the faith history of our ancestors in the faith. That speech goes on for all of chapter 7. I'm going to read the very end of it, beginning in verse 51, and then we'll finish the chapter. Stephen says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to do. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, and now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You are the ones that received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you have not kept it. When they heard these things, they became enraged and ground their teeth at Stephen. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears, and with a loud shout all rushed together against him. Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him, and the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he died. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The painting on your screen is Rembrandt's version, a visual depiction of this story. The story of Stephen is a significant moment in the life of the church. According to Acts, the Holy Spirit was with him in a powerful way. Like all of those earliest converts, he had a zeal for telling others about Christ, a passion for inviting others to join their new movement. More than that, even we're told that his effectiveness in sharing this good news was amplified by the great wonders and signs he did among the people. He got enough attention, in fact, that those in power became concerned. And so the religious leaders did what the world too often does when the power of God is at work building the kingdom. They opposed Stephen. And not just that, they falsely accused him and determined to destroy him. And not just that, they made him the first Christian martyr. The stoning of Stephen marked the beginning of the age of martyrdom. That's a, a technical term in the, early, uh, in the early history of the church that refers to those who showed allegiance to Christ by their death. The word martyr uh, in Greek literally means witness, as in those who are willing to proclaim the faith no matter the cost. Part of the power of Stephen's story is the contrast between the frenzied anger of the mob and the calm confidence of the martyr. That kind of calm confidence is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a necessary trait for disciples when faced with the, the resistance that inevitably confronts those seeking to do God's work in the world. It's, it's not always as dramatic as the resistance that Stephen encountered, 
but seeking and doing God's will always runs into resistance eventually. St. Stephen is a role model for Christians of every age in the way that he demonstrated what it means to be a witness, faithfully reporting to his antagonizers what he sees, confessing and proclaiming the risen Christ despite the certainty of his fate, because his experience of and relationship with the risen Christ had given him the, the gift of tremendous clarity, clarity about what's worth staking our lives on, what's worth standing up for, what's worth fighting for. After he breaks parole and makes a new identity for himself, Jean Valjean makes the most of his second chance. Knowing the value of hard work, he becomes a wealthy factory owner as well as the mayor of his new hometown. Much more importantly, however, he honors the promise that he had made to the bishop by living the rest of his days as a worthy response to the grace and mercy that he'd been shown. His life, in fact, becomes a model of love and compassion, as demonstrated particularly by his devotion to a young girl who becomes like a daughter to him. One of the, the employees in the factory that Valjean owns is a, a single mother who's struggling to provide for her daughter in a society that knows little compassion and has no social safety net. Through a series of circumstances that we don't have time to detail here, this single mother dies young, and on her deathbed, she asks Valjean to care for her daughter, Cosette, which he faithfully does for the rest of his life. Years later, when Cosette's love interest is caught up in this uprising in Paris, Valjean goes to the barricade to protect the boy. He thinks that their revolution is the folly of youth, unwinnable against a too powerful government. He does not think that their cause is worth fighting for, but he's willing to risk his own safety for the sake of this adopted daughter of his. And so when the young man is wounded in battle, Valjean carries him to safety, risking his own life and his own freedom for the sake of Cosette. By the time the finale comes, we have seen Jean Valjean entirely redeemed. On his deathbed, in a, in a musical number that moves me to tears every single time, he sees the spirit of Cosette's mother. She says, Sir, lay down your burden. You raised my child in love, and you will be with God. Valjean's deathbed scene is the most moving thing that I've ever seen on stage, because it's the, it's the summation of a life well-lived. Responding to the grace that had been shown to him by the bishop, he lived the rest of his life believing that ultimately love is the thing that's truly worth fighting for. He even turns down the opportunity to take revenge on Inspector Javert, this man who had tormented him his entire life. We'll come back to that part of the story in just a minute. But for now, let's finish our text. This is Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. And Saul approved of their killing him. That day, a severe persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the countryside of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him, but Saul 
was ravaging the church by entering house after house, dragging off both men and women, he committed them to prison. Amen. This is the passage of scripture where we're introduced to Saul, better known, of course, as Paul, the man who would become the most important figure in the early Christian movement, the most important figure in early Christian evangelism, sharing the good news of Christ all over the Roman Empire. Most of the books of the New Testament are attributed to Paul in some way. But he was a man who, when we meet him here, is a zealous persecutor of the church. Stephen was only the the first of a great many martyrs in the history of the church, women and men who, like Stephen, had the clarity of knowing what was truly worth fighting for, namely their love for Christ and their faith in him. Saul's conversion began with this encounter with the risen Christ once he experiences the grace and mercy of God for himself, not unlike the fictional Jean Valjean, he has a a conversion experience that changes his life forever. He too will become a witness to the power of love in the world. And interestingly, the same group who opposes Stephen in our passage this morning will later oppose Paul. (laughs) Resistance to the work of God in the world that will ultimately lead to Paul's death as well. But as all those who have a relationship with Christ know very well, bearing witness to the love and grace of God is an ideal worth fighting for. Sharing the good news of God's love is a truth worth fighting for, despite what the world may think, despite the fact that it may conflict with our politics or our ideologies, despite whatever consequences might come our way, our love for and faith in Christ is worth fighting for. And so is our love for our fellow human beings. In the climactic battle scene in Les Mis, uh, through a series of events that we don't have time to detail here, Inspector Javert is captured by the young revolutionaries who decide that he must be executed. Valjean asks to do it himself, but instead of taking his revenge, he releases Javert, showing this relentless inspector the same compassion and mercy that the bishop had once shown him. Unable to reconcile his belief in Valjean's corruption with the kindness and mercy Valjean has now shown him, Javert has this moment of crisis. I mean, he's devoted his his life to the law with no room for grace or forgiveness. Having now experienced grace for himself, his crisis moment is that he realizes that he's built his life on something not worth fighting for. In despair, he takes his own life, unable to accept the kindness that he had been offered. And this is at the heart of the genius of this story for me. Two characters receive surprising grace and mercy at the hands of someone they expected to condemn them. One was redeemed by it, (laughs) one was destroyed by it, because they had very different conceptions of of what's worth fighting for. 
Friends, as disciples of Jesus Christ, every one of us has been offered the unconditional grace and mercy of God, whether we feel like we deserve it or not. We are called by God to respond to that grace by loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And that, if you ask me, is the thing in this life that is most worth fighting for. The finale of Les Mis contains what is, to me, uh, the single greatest lyric in any musical ever. It's in Jean Valjean's deathbed scene as he says goodbye to this world to join the great company of saints who have gone before him. It's the, it's the last thing that we hear him say at the end of this epic story of redemption. To love another person is to see the face of God. May we all be so fortunate. Amen.